What do people mean when they say that something is like riding a bike? It's just like riding a bike, they'll say. Talking about maybe getting back on the slopes and skiing, maybe speaking a, a foreign language, they'll say, well, yeah, it's just like riding a bike. What they mean by that, and if you've ever said that, what I think you mean by that is that the habits and the skills that you once learned long ago are just ingrained in you. They're a part of who you are. And you can just slip right back into those activities without really a thought because of how, how much you know that skill, how familiar you, familiar you are with it. It's just ingrained in you. But little kids don't get on a bike for the very first time, an adult-sized bike, and just take off down the road, do they? They certainly do not. And what do we do? What have we created over the years for our kids? We have created training wheels so that kids can get on their bike with their helmet and their tassels and their you know, Elsa badge on the front of their bike, and they can sit there and go down the road even though they have no idea in the world how to balance. They've never done it before. They've never had to work on that skill before. And so they spend a lot of time on their training wheels. They wear out their training wheels. In fact, there is a video that is on our home server at home. And every now and again, I catch my wife and lovely daughter watching that embarrassing video of me as like a seven-year-old kid. I was way too old to still be having training wheels, riding my training wheel bike down the road, and I just thought I was the coolest. You could just see me out there, my little blonde head and pale face. I was just going as fast as I could on my training wheels. Little kids don't stay on their training wheels forever, though. At some point, they take off the training wheels. And at some point, the parent comes behind them, and they kind of steady them, and they keep them upright. As the kid goes along, maybe they run alongside of them. And then at some point, the parent lets go, and the kid takes off. Maybe they take off farther than they're supposed to go. I, I'm pretty sure kids still ride their bikes these days. I'm fairly certain. I know a lot of kids are just sitting in front of their computers all the time. But if you've ever ridden a bike and you got that freedom, that taste of freedom, some kids will just go wherever they want to go. When I was a kid, we would ride all over the place. Nobody was worried about it. I'm sure when, when some of you were kids way back in the day, maybe you just went all over the place, even further than we would go. But little kids eventually get to that point where they, where they become so familiar with riding a bike that, that it's just ingrained in who they are. And then they can turn around and say, well, it's just like riding a bike. But isn't that kind of what parenting is like? Not, not in teaching our kids how to ride a bike, but just in parenting, the fact that we start off with our little kids and, and they don't know how to live life. They don't know how to balance. They don't know how to, how to say no. They don't know what to do, what is correct and what's not correct, and so we, we put training wheels on them. We put training wheels on them as I think Proverbs 22, verse 6 talks about. If you open up your Bible and turn to Proverbs 22, verse 6, we're going to camp out here. We're going to focus on this verse, I think, for the most part in this lesson. Proverbs 22, verse 6, the wise writer says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a famous passage. It's a famous proverb from the wise rider here, it's something that I think we think about as parents from time to time. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We train up our kids. 
We, we do our work of putting on the spiritual training wheels for our kids. We spend a lot of time supporting them and creating a stable foundation for them in our home. We shepherd them. We shape them. We, once we've taken off those training wheels, we start to let them have more responsibility. And we, we kind of find that balance of letting them make their own mistakes while still being there for them. And there's that moment where we let go of the seat without the training wheels, and they have to go. We send them out into the world to be their own people, to be responsible for their own selves. And I'm at a, I'm at a certain part in that journey in our home. And maybe you in your homes, you're at a different part of that journey. Maybe you've never been a part of that journey. Maybe you're not a parent at all. But I think all of us can understand the, the importance that we have that the wise writer's talking about here in Proverbs 22, verse 6, the, the sobering responsibility we have to train up our children. Even if you are not a parent, there are kids who are looking up to you. There are kids who are looking to you for leadership and guidance. Even if you're not a parent, you can still look back in your own history as, as a young person and you can learn lessons about yourself. Ideally, and hopefully what we want to do here as part of this verse, is to train them up in a way that it's just ingrained in who they are. God and His Word, His service, following Him is just, it's just like riding a bike. They know it. They know where they should be. And, and I don't know if you're like this, but I am for sure. I, I, I certainly make mistakes. I've certainly fallen. I've certainly sinned. But, you know, on a Sunday morning, like, it felt really weird not to be at worship services this morning. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's shaking their head. Like, yeah, it felt a little weird to be sitting home on a Sunday morning, right? Because my natural mode is to be at worship on Sunday, on Sunday morning. And sitting on the couch in my jammies on a Sunday morning, I thought that was kind of weird. It, for me, it's just, it's where I will be because of the direction that I was given as a young person. And that's something that we need to be really focused on. And I think as we, as we come to 2022, as we come to a new year, there's an opportunity we have. Sort of as we think about habits and ingraining habits and instilling habits in others, there's an opportunity we have to train up the next generation so that they can take it on and follow the Lord themselves. And so I want to talk about training wheels this morning. And I actually want to, this is the first lesson in a, in a couple of lesson series that I want to do about parenting. And I think to start here with Proverbs 22, verse 6, it would be important for us to have kind of a, a balanced view of this verse, maybe some caveats to think about, some things that might help us understand this verse a little bit better, because I think when we come to this verse, we need to understand that this verse is a principle and not a promise. It is not a promise. Please understand that. Please understand that this verse is not saying that if you do all of the things that you should do, then it will be sure that your child will never leave the Lord. That's just not the case. And I don't think that's really with a lot of these Proverbs is ever the case. Proverbs 16, if you go back to Proverbs 16, verse 7, the wise writer said, When a man's way please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, this is another one of those principles, but not a promise. You can imagine Jesus, who's who perfectly followed the will of the Lord, was his, were his enemies at peace with him? Absolutely not. But it's a general truth, right? It's a general principle that we can understand that when we follow the Lord, then 
then it helps us to be peaceful people. It helps us to be the kind of people that foster peace. And here in this verse, when we give our child the direction and the momentum and we push them in the direction of the Lord, training them, the principle is that they're going to keep following the Lord. And that's something that we also need to understand here as we read this verse. We need to be careful not to measure parents by their kids' choices, too. Because this is a dangerous verse that we could weaponize against other parents. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be mindful of that. Because there are plenty of parents who have done everything that they can, who were just amazing parents. And maybe, maybe some of their children turned out to follow the Lord, but maybe some of their children did not. Or maybe none of their children did, but they did everything that they could. And we need to be really careful that we don't judge other parents by the, the outcomes that we see in their children. In fact, if we were to hold this standard the way that we do sometimes toward parents, we would probably wind up calling God an unfit parent. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. The prophet Isaiah here in Isaiah 1, verse 2, quoting from God, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. God viewed his children, the children of Israel, who he, who he raised, who he did all of the training that he could do as the perfect father. And what did those children do? They didn't want anything to do with God. Would we call God a failure because of that? Would we call God, God a failure as a parent, as a father, because his children did not obey? No, we wouldn't, of course. Because we understand that Children make their own decisions. They're their own people. So we need to be really careful that we don't weaponize this verse. But when we kind of get some of those caveats out of the way, we do really understand this is a big responsibility, isn't it? Really big responsibility. It is so critical to our role as parents. You know, it might be easy just to kick your feet up on the coffee table and just let your kids run wild. But if you're focused on training up a child in the way that he should go, you're going to give them the best possible shot at following the Lord later in life to where righteousness and holiness are just like riding a bike. And so let's, let's kind of think about this together. The big idea really in this lesson is that we cannot save our kids. Of course, Philippians chapter 2, we, we are not responsible for anyone else's salvation. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is a personal responsibility 100%. We cannot save our kids. We also cannot protect our kids from every danger in the world, but we can give them the momentum and push them in the right direction. And that is what this verse is about, and that's really what this lesson is, is about. So let's think about this together. As we see here this word train, the word train here in Proverbs 22, what is this word all about? And the first point here is about momentum. We give our kids momentum. And how does momentum have anything to do with training? Well, you know, you get this idea, you get this sense from the word train, and you think, oh, well, I know what train means. Train means to sit down in front of a computer and read some stuff and watch some things, watch some videos, and now I'm trained to do my job, right? That's kind of what we view as training. Maybe training to, uh, to, to get fit and to get healthy. So you go to the gym and you, you have a trainer who comes in and and shows you how to do everything and tells you all the muscle groups that you need to be working on and everything else. So we think we know what train means. We, we definitely know what train means. But when we go back to the, the Hebrew here, 
We go back to the original language. This is a very interesting word. In fact, the word is only used five times in the Old Testament. And it is the word chanak. And you can hear it. You can hear what this word is connected to. It's connected to the word Hanukkah. It is connected to that word because it means the same thing. It means dedication. The word train actually in the Hebrew meant dedication four times in the Old Testament. This word, chanuk, was referred to as buildings that were being dedicated. You ever think about when a building is dedicated? Sometimes they'll cut a ribbon. Maybe they'll, they'll break a bottle of something on the, on the ship or something like that. Four times in the Bible when this word is used, it is used to refer to, for example, the dedication of the temple when Solomon just sacrificed a ridiculous amount of animals to dedicate the temple that he had built. It was also referenced when the, the walls were created in Nehemiah. When they were built, he dedicated them. This is also used in reference to the, the statue even in Daniel, how they, they built that statue and dedicated it. To dedicate something is, is happening throughout the Bible. And we see that the word Hanukkah, in fact, in the intertestamental periods, not to get too detailed here, but the Maccabees, you can read about in history how the temple was defiled and they needed to rededicate the temple. And actually in John 10, when Jesus is attending the feast of dedication, that is the feast that he's attending. Hanukkah, the feast of dedication. And so when we talk about this word, train, what we're talking about is to dedicate or to inaugurate or to start. Almost every translation that you'll come across this word is translated as train. The Christian standard refers to it as start off, which I think is a really interesting way to think about it. It's a starting point. It's momentum. It's pushing them off. It's getting them going in the right direction. Bruce Waltke said this means to start the youth off with a strong and perhaps even religious commitment to a certain course of action. It's to get the ball rolling. It's momentum. That's really what this is. And, and when you think about teaching a kid to ride a bike, isn't that, you got to have momentum, don't you? Have you ever tried to balance on a bike that wasn't moving? You just sit there and try to balance. It's almost impossible. I mean, you have to be really good at it to, to balance on a bike that's not moving. But once a bike is actually going, like you could actually fall off the bike and the bike would just keep going for a while. The momentum keeps that bike upright. It keeps, makes balancing a whole lot easier. And when we get our kids going and we push, and we not push in a negative way, but push in a positive way, when we inaugurate and start them off the path, you can see what Solomon is saying here. They're not going to easily depart from it because we've, we've gotten them going in the right direction. And so as we think about momentum, we need to understand that God is going to use our kids to spread the kingdom. That great commission Jesus talked about there with his disciples, go into all the world preach the gospel to all creation. And, and we can see that our kids are a part of that. If we get our kids started on the right path, hopefully they will be a part of the next generation spreading the gospel, doing the Lord's work, increasing the borders of his kingdom. Satan will absolutely, though, try to power them down. He will try to take them down. He will try to slow them down. He's going to knock their momentum in, at every turn he can. He is prowling about like a roaring lion, as Peter talks about, seeking someone to devour. He wants to knock them down. And I have seen in my 
youth growing up, I have seen a lot of young people get taken down by the devil. And I'm not immune to it. We've all had trouble. We've all had difficulty. We've all sinned. Every single one of us have sinned. He's going to try to slow us down, but we need to make sure that we've got enough momentum to keep going. And we also need to understand that it is our job to give them a training, a deeply ingrained training that they can revert to. It's said that, that people in the military don't rise to the occasion, they fall to the, to the level of their training. They fall back to the level of their training. However they were trained, they, they revert back to their training when the firefight is happening, when things are getting difficult. They don't rise to the occasion, they fall back to their training. It's their training that got them to the point where they could just respond. And if serving the Lord is like riding a bike, not in a monotonous kind of way, but in a, in a way that it's deeply ingrained in who they are from a young age, then we're giving them that. We're helping them that. We're giving them that kind of momentum, that deeply implanted word, as James talked about in James chapter 1, verse 21, the deeply implanted word that's able to save their souls. So we need to, need to give them momentum. That's part of it. But we also need to give them correction. I think we see here in Proverbs 22, verse 6, that that we, we ought to, and we're responsible for giving them correction. So let's go back and, and look at what the way is being talked about. What does he mean here when he says the way he should go? Actually, it's really interesting if you go back to the original language here. Train up a child in the way he should go. Basically, every translation translates it that way. But you know what word is not in that translation? You know what word is not actually in the original language, in the Hebrew, is the word should. The word should is actually not in there. You go back to Young's literal or other literal translation, the word should is not even there. And I think the translators are adding it there because it, it helps make the point, it helps clarify the point at least, because without it, it's, it can get a little bit confusing. Here is the way that, that a literal translation might actually translate this. Train up a child in his way. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in his way. And you can see, without the addition of the should, that gets kind of confusing, right? Because if you think about it for a few minutes, you might say, well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by train up a child in his way? And so there's a couple of ways that we could, we could really understand this verse. Train up a child in his way. Well, it could mean train him up in a way that fits the child. Train him up in a way that makes sense to the child. And I think that would be a perfectly valid explanation for what this is about. Do you know that every child is different? I didn't know. I only have one child, so my child is, is 100% of my experience. But I've, I've met your children. I've met, I've met kids, and I know every child is different. Every kid is different. Every kid has different tells. They have different buttons. They have different motivations. They have different ways of communicating. And maybe what he's saying here is train them up in a way that fits them. Train them in a way that, that helps them in the moment. Maybe what he's saying is more of a warning, though. Maybe he's expressing, us, expressing to us a warning about training him up in, in the way that feels good to the child, or the way that is selfish, self-seeking self for the child. Start them off getting their own way, and they'll always think that way. Maybe that's what he's saying. And, and it very well could be that. 
And if you think about it in either one of those ways, we certainly understand that I think the, the meaning is the same. The meaning is the same. However you decide to parent that child, it is going to, to carry forward. It is going to carry forward into the future. And what I walk away from either of these interpretations is just understanding that we need to correct our kids. Our kids need correction. Do you think it's any wonder that just a few verses away in verse 15 of Proverbs 22, the wise writer says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him? I don't think there's a... I, I, think, I think these two verses are right next to each other for a reason. Because I think we all know that, we all understand that, that our kids are kind of foolish sometimes. I was kind of foolish sometimes when I was a kid. I still am sometimes. But, you know, little kids, are, are they're pretty silly. They need, they need rules. They need boundaries. They need correction. And, of course, Solomon talks about, well, the politically incorrect kinds of things that, that we don't want to reference too much anymore, but the rod of discipline. Yeah, the rod of discipline. Solomon talks about it. He explains to us exactly what's going to happen if we don't use the rod of discipline. And again, it's not because we were angry with our kids. It's not because we hate our kids that we use that rod of discipline. It's because folly is bound up in their heart. And we have to provide the rules. We have to set the boundaries. They need our correction. Our job is not to give our kids their way. I'd ask for an amen, but you can just sit there quietly and listen. Really, it's not to give them their way. Our job is not to be our kindergartner's best buddy. Our job is not to, to, to give them everything they want in life. Our job is not to be the yes person in our home. If that were the case, we would be following the, the children of Israel's ugly, ugly trajectory in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And that never worked out for them. And if we were to let our kids just do everything that they want, it's not going to work out for them either. Can you imagine what your house would look like if you just let your kid did everything they want? We got up this morning, and Ashlyn, Ashlyn said, can we have donuts this morning? I was like, no way. Sorry. I mean, donuts sounded good, but I wasn't, I wasn't driving to get, go get donuts just because she wanted donuts. Sometimes we need the boundaries and say, you're going to have to eat something healthy, like fruit loops or, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but you know what would happen in your own home if you just let your kids do whatever it was that they wanted to do. And if it's not good for us to be able to do that, we need to train them in the right way when they're young and get them used to hearing no. Get them used to us saying no before they can say it for themselves. Because eventually, at some point, they're going to have to say it for themselves. And we need to instill that in them while it's, while it's early enough. Our job is to narrow their way. Our job is not to give them every possibility in the world. I, I heard a story some time ago about a friend who was talking to their parents. And, and they were saying, well, I can be anything I want to be. And their mom said, no, you can't. You can't be anything you... There's a lot of things you can't be when you grow up. And we need to be that kind of narrowing influence in our kids' lives to say, no, there are a lot of things that you will not be, that you should not be. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we need to be, as fathers, training them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, not the nurture and the admonition of whatever feels like good, that's good to them. We need to be raising them in a way that points them to God, that helps them walk down that narrow road. 
That is not easy. If it's hard enough for you to get control of your own heart, try getting control of your kid's heart. And you know how difficult that is if you've had to do it. And again, let's go back to that caveat that we expressed. You are not a failure if you do everything that you can and your kid decides that they don't want anything to do with the Lord. Your job is to give them momentum. Your job is to give them discipline. Your job is to point them in the right direction. It's up to them at some point. So that's kind of where we're headed to next, is the direction. How do we apply Proverbs 22, verse 6? When we read a verse like this, it's a challenging thing when you're a parent, because there's a lot here. There's a lot of expectation. It's a big job. And we need to understand how important it is. But, but when we talk about giving them direction, I think it would be helpful for us to go back to Deuteronomy 6 scripture reading that we had this morning. I think Deuteronomy 6 really just sums up what a parent is all about, what they're doing, what their whole job is really focused on. And this is what God said to the people. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's talking about their building a home. Building a home, building a routine, building a habit of talking about God all the time. All the time, always talking about his loss. He goes on there, of course. It's not, not the, the end of the discussion about a father's responsibility to their children and a mother's responsibility to their, to their children but we have a responsibility to build a house that points them in the right direction, that gives them that kind of direction all the time in their life. And this is kind of a, a sneak peek for the next few lessons that I want to do in this series. Because what we see, I think, from this verse is that we need to build a stable foundation for our kids. And that's what training wheels are, right? You're not going to tip over. There's a stable foundation there. Your kids can sit on the bike. They can get used to balancing because those training wheels are firmly affixed and they're going to keep them upright. In our homes, the foundation of our homes is the relationship between a husband and a wife. Amen? A husband and a wife who, with one mind, united, raise their kids in a way that points them to Jesus who listen to each other, who love each other, and who constantly dedicate themselves to God first, and then help their kids understand that they need to be dedicated to God too. Please understand that if you are a single parent here, I am not trying to disparage your efforts. Believe me, you have, you have it so much harder in that scenario. And I, for, for what it's worth, I think you're doing more work than two parents would do in a home because it takes that much more effort to raise kids in especially this environment by yourself. But either way, we need stable foundations. We need to, to understand that, that the bedrock of the home is integrity and truthfulness. The bedrock of the home is telling each other what God has told us, relaying the message of God into our home building that kind of foundation. And as we, as we move on from that, it's all about shepherding and shaping. When the kids actually come and we have built that house, that stable foundation, then we spend our time shepherding and shaping, don't we? 
It's using everyday life teaching moments. You know, you're, you're oftentimes not going to have these big, grand, exciting kinds of life-changing moments in the lives of your kids. Sometimes it's going to be those little conversations you have at the grocery store, those little moments that you have in the car, those little times that you get to shape and shepherd your child. And then as we've put in the work in helping them to grow, eventually, to a lot of mothers' dismay, you got to send them out. They have to go. And that's a scary time. I'm not there. But even as I was going out of my parents' house, I was deathly afraid. <laughs> I mean, I was getting married. I was going to go live with this amazing girl. I was still deathly afraid because I'd never done that before. You think about the time where you leave, where you head out. And there are so many examples that we see throughout the Bible of parents watching their ch children go. And hopefully, prayerfully, not that it's under your control, but hopefully and prayerfully, our Lord becomes their Lord. Training wheels. I made it to the very last slide, so that, that counts for something. Appreciate your attention this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a couple more lessons on this series, and I appreciate spending a little bit of time looking at this wise saying from Solomon, this proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Please take out your songbooks and turn to the number that's been announced. As we think about the invitation this morning, I do want to just say, the conversation about children actually happened in one of the most famous invitation verses that we ever reference from the pulpit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. As Peter there is talking to that great first assembly of people who would give themselves in baptism, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Often we, often we stop right there. But where does he go next? For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. We've been talking a whole lot about leaving our children with what they need to be successful. But if you're not a child of God's, please come as we stand and sing.